Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from the International Culinary Center in New York and California. And we're sitting in lovely Bushwick, Brooklyn at heritageradionetwork.org. And today my guest is Joaquin Baca. He didn't have to come very far. <laughs> he, he is the executive chef and co-owner of Brooklyn Star right here in Brooklyn. And uh, before that, he was at the Rusty Knot. Uh, where he was the executive chef in Manhattan. And before that, he was the 2007 James Beard Award winner for Best New Restaurant as co-chef and co-owner of the famous Sambar. Uh, Joaquin has a degree in photojournalism from the University of Texas, and he's lived all over the world, but spent 10 years cooking in the Southwest before coming to New York. So... He's got a fascinating background. Welcome, Joaquin. So happy you could make it here today. Hi, Dory. Uh, thanks for having me. Ooh, nice voice on the radio. <laughs> okay, let's get so tell let's tell let's tell our listeners uh, about your background and all the countries you lived in and why were you bopping around the world? Uh, fortunately, my parents decided that they wanted to raise their kids outside of the country. So uh, from the time we were about a year old, um, they joined the Peace Corps and then uh, segued that into uh, State Department. So we moved to Colombia first and then um, and then State Department and so it was uh, Mexico and Portugal. So you were born you were you were born in Texas? Born in San Francisco actually. Oh, um, in San Francisco. My okay, now Dad was a civil rights lawyer in the 70s. Uh-huh. And where where did they go? I was in the Peace Corps. Where did they go in the Peace Corps? Uh, Bogota. Oh, Bogota. I've actually been to Bogota. I like Bogota. It's a pretty it's, city. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh, well, that that is great. So that's how they got into the State Department. Well, uh, do you, what are your memories of... Uh, you were mainly in South and Central America, right. but then you did go to the Philippines as well, right? Um, I spent half of high school in the Philippines and half in Uruguay. Oh, so. what was that like? Because, wow, talk about two different cultures. Incredibly different. It's, uh, it's sort of a kind of lifestyle you just get used to uh, it seems it seems odd to like to move around so so much as a, as a kid but it's I mean, you're sort of surrounded by the same you know same everybody, everybody's kind of in the same boat uh, you're going to international school system uh, most of the other kids are either u.s foreign service or other and uh so you just doesn't seem weird at all did you eat? Did you go out and eat street food everywhere you were? Yes, of course. Uh, more so when we got to be of age to do so on our own. But also, my parents are yes, locals. Yeah, yeah they like the the local culture. Um, so they're pretty good. Okay, so when you were a senior in high school, what is it that you had a passion for and thought you were going to be when you grew up? Girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh Just gosh, like I set else. myself up for that one. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's. Uh, uh, okay. the truth of the matter. Um, aside from that. <laughs> aside from that. Uh, well, um, the uh, the 
early early part of, of high school was in, in the Philippines, uh, which is <clears throat> a really interesting place for a, for a kid to be at that age. So, so it was sort of uh, not exactly lawless, but um, you can kind of get away with a lot. Mm-hmm. So a lot of time was spent exploring uh, not so much uh, food, but culture uh, as a <laughs> And the girls. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to. All right. Trying not to get myself in trouble. Okay. Here. All right. Let's let's uh, keep it clean. What was your favorite food memory from Philippines? Mm. Uh, well, I did have some uh, some lo- local friends that, w- that would take me to some of the areas I probably wasn't supposed to be in. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of like probably things that you're not supposed to eat that are that are meat on sticks. Essentially, meat on sticks. Okay. It's a, and a guy with no shoes and a fire. I have a feeling a you really like the lawless part. Uh, it's sort of a, but something about it. It's, yeah. it's kind of heartwarming. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so then you went to Uruguay for the last two years. Yeah. Of high Uruguay is a really beautiful country. It's very, it's sort of very like old European in nature. It's like a coastal mm. city. Looks a lot like looks a lot like Lisbon, mm. in that the whole city follows that that main uh, uh, oceanfront highway. Yeah. And uh, it has a lot of leftovers from, from Italians and Germans. There's a lot of, like, uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Spanish-speaking uh, people. And it's, it's, it kind of throws you off at first. Um, and even the Spanish is different. It's, it's um, uh, Rio Platense is more of, like, a double L sound like J's. It's kind of like the way that Brazilian is to Portuguese. Oh. Uh, and uh, food-wise, it is... Uh, meat, meat, meat. Yeah, meat, meat, meat. But a lot of, <laughs> like I said, a lot of Italian influence. Mm. Um, there are... Very few, but there are some uh, Uruguayan restaurants in, in Man- and actually there's one in Brooklyn that's uh, that's really good. What's but that it's, one? Um, oh, Jesus, I forgot what it's called right now. Uh, okay, okay. Well, well, we'll go to Brooklyn Star to and see. But uh, it's a lot of pastas and uh, and uh, sort of um, they have their own style of pizza and stuff too. So oh, that's great. So, um, but. So you're a senior in high school. Where are we going to go the next year? I'm trying to get where your head was at when you were. Uh, well, like most people, I started doing uh, you know college applications at that point, and uh-huh. uh, and I filled out the first one to University of Texas, which is where my family went, and uh, that was a one page front and back uh, application <laughs> with no essay. And before I got around to doing all the other more tedious ones, that one came back. Uh, you were at Austin. I mean, that's a great. I love Austin. Um, I know that's a great university in a great town. It is. It's a. It's a huge university. It's a huge university town. It's very young. It's very fun. It's mm. there's a lot of uh, water holes and mm-hmm. and uh, barbecue and uh, it was it was just a really great place and it's where I had kind of grown up. Uh, coming back to when we lived overseas, my family lives. My, my mom's family lives in South Texas. So, you know, Austin was pretty much the, the stopover, and my parents both met at UT. So it's kind of a central point for, for the whole family. Well, that, so uh, did you stay? I know your family has a ranch, a 5,000-acre fr- ranch. Yeah, uh, uh, did, cow, did you, cow ranch have, in South Texas. How much time did you spend in the, on the ranch? Uh, when you're posted overseas with the State Department, they send you back, depending on where you're posted, they send you back every every so often. So it could be a, a year every every year. It could be every summer, or it can be every couple summers, depending on, on the uh, and you would stay at the person. ranch. Yeah. So, are you a wrangler? I would. Can not, you wrangle? I. If I'm not sure that's actually a verb, but. I'm, but, <laughs> but if you're a wrangler, I guess you know you. you yeah. I think that's only on Blazing Saddles. Oh, um, a Brooklyn girl. That's about as close <laughs> okay. as I get to wranglers. Uh, yes, uh, I, I, I ride horses and work cattle and and stuff. Yes. Oh, that's that. That's neat. Does do you really put it together with food, meat when you're wrangling cattle? Because that's what you're wrangling them for, right? 
Uh, yes, you are wrangling them for me. But you're, <laughs> but you're probably eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when you're out on the range, right? Because they fit in your saddlebag. Or I, I really like the image that you have of, of how it is. It's actually much nicer than the truth. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Well, that, that'll be another show. I think that Mitchell does shows on okay. <laughs> that. Um, okay, so, so tell me, photojournalism. Is there right side, left side, or all right side? Where's your brain... You wanted to be an artist? You wanted to be a photographer I, taking pictures of models because they're girls? No, I think I smoked a lot of pot and watched National Geographic, and I thought I wanted to, to do that. Um, I wanted well, that's to be mind a do- expanding. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to be a documentary photographer, and I really enjoyed a large part of it. I did some, some projects that were really fun for me, but at the end of it, I realized that uh, that sort of uh, separating yourself from something and being totally impartial, it's really difficult to do, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like completely keeping yourself out of a situation I don't know just not it wasn't it was, you it just wasn't something I was able to do very well I see uh, so how so what did you do after university I well I cooked my way through school to for, for tuition University of Texas was a good uh, you know it's a, it's a state university and in-house tuition is it's very decent and very manageable so uh-huh. I don't have any student loans but it's because I would manage to to work, to, uh, yeah, to, to work. So, what what kind of restaurants were you working in back? Then? Oh, I did uh, a lot of like little mom and pop cafe stuff. I worked at a vegetarian restaurant for a year and a half. Um, I, I, I did a bunch of random stuff until uh, until I. What was your attitude in those days? Was it be just a job, and you kind of liked food, or were you really into it and trying to learn? Or? I, I didn't really realize how much I loved it until I finished school, and it was time for me to to uh, cast that aside and go and find a, a job in my my supposed train career or right. train field right uh, but I I re- took immediately to more the the work environment at first than mm-hmm. than the actual than the actual I mean uh, lo- love of food is, is one thing but I never really thought I wanted to be a chef I just really loved being in the kitchen so Tell me your road to chefdom because, you know, how do you wind up being co-chef, co-owner with David Chang of Sambar? Um, I think blind luck, like most of that whole Momofuku, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really, it's a strange trip. So anyways, after, after Austin, I went to New Mexico for a while, um, worked there for a few years, and uh, then moved to New York. Uh, trailed at all the places that I really wanted to work. Uh, like? Like, <clears throat> like all the big names that anybody from outside of New York goes to, all the the Danielle places. The, okay, the I Frenchy to, guys. The Frenchy guys. I went to Babo. I, I, you know, the Italian guy, the Italian American uh, guy. Sure, <laughs> uh, Boulay, and I, I had a bunch of uh, trails that I thought were really fun, and I, th- I thought what I was very successful at. But uh, ultimately, the one that was most intriguing was this uh, random guy in the East Village, uh, <laughs> who was. Uh, pulling his hair out but uh we had this he had this tiny little shoebox that was not even built out yet and he just needed somebody to help him run it and i thought this is a how'd you meet gonna, david um monster.com i think it was oh really so yeah, totally was bizarre. Jo- you were answering an ad i was answering an ad well actually i was answering an ad that a, a girlfriend told me i had to answer and it was to some bar. It was to, to the, no to the original noodle bar. This is, oh, the original this is noodle Momofuku bar before Momofuku was a. a oh, okay, okay. So, so tell us about that's fascinating. I think everybody wants to get under the tent on that one. What, what, how did that come about? Uh, very clumsy. All right, that's real. We, yeah, it's it's the, it's the truth, and Dave will tell you the same. We yeah. made a lot of mistakes. We 
didn't exactly know what we were doing. Mm. Uh, we didn't actually think that we knew what we were doing, but we tried to do it anyways. We went into it with um, some poorly conceived plans about opening a not authentic but but real Japanese style noodle bar. We quickly realized we're not Japanese. I think everybody. He worked knew that in first. Japan for a while. He right? did. He did. He worked in. He did work in Japan. Um, I don't really think that prepares anybody to be Japanese, though. No, <laughs> no, no, and doesn't even prepare the Japanese to cook their own noodles. Correct. So we tripped over our feet for a while before we realized that uh, we were trying to be somebody that we weren't, and mm. finally just uh, gave in to just cooking whatever it is that we wanted to, and that's when we started to find find our way. Mm-hmm. And uh, when people started to think we're less stupid than we had seemed at first. How long did it take for the press to discover your new... Probably about How long did it take you to stop the original, you know, Japanese thing uh, and do your own thing? And then how long did about it... About six months, maybe. And then, like, in that first year, we started to get a little love. And, and the first six months, how many people were coming into the restaurant? It was dismal. Okay. And whose money was on the line? David's? Dave's. Dave had, uh, I don't know if he wants me telling this, but he had borrowed from family and yeah. every credit card and everything he had in the past. So he was, he was, he was all in. Real, yeah, that's the real story for a lot of people there. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, truly terrifying. Uh, I worked for somebody a long time ago that told me to make all of your mistakes with somebody else's money. Yes. So that's what I was doing. I yes. don't know if that would really count for Dave. Really? But look, hey, you know what? If you don't risk, you don't get the reward. So so then after six months, because of the financial pressures, or you guys were just fed up with... We were just sort of fed up um, of fed up with, with uh, being ridiculed a little bit. and um, Who was ridiculing you? Well, I think anybody who walked by. Okay. So was it, was it in the press, or were you... You know, honestly, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't really remember. I think Dave was looking at that more than I was, and I was just uh, trying to operate day-to-day. Um, and he was getting frustrated because I mean I was new to New York, so I didn't right. I, I wasn't like looking at the regular press outlets and right. and uh, internet blog outlets that uh, that I sort of like look to now to see right. to see who's who's getting what kind of what kind of action. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time I was sort of had blinders on. I, all I was doing was operating this little this little business. And uh, how many people in the kitchen back then? There were about three of us. Uh, was and, uh, Christina Stosi? Uh, no, she was after the first year. After the first year, she okay. came in as a an angel of mercy. <laughs> I know she's been on the show too. <laughs> we're getting all different perspectives, yeah, and then we're going to get Dave himself in here, and you know he good, can blow up the. Good place. luck. You might have to wrangle. Uh, yeah, he he is a wrangling type. So um, so tell me, uh, how did how did. So now you changed the menu, you're doing your own food. Changed the menu, and we got like a New York Times review, which is uh, Pete Meehan uh, thought fit to bestow upon us, which pretty much saved our butts. Is that a two-star? No, no, no. That was, that was uh, uh, 25 and under. Oh, 25 and under. Yeah. This, oh. was, this was the little 28-seat restaurant in the East Village, and, um, and after that point, we started to pack it in pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the most important byproduct of that was that we became somewhere that people actually wanted to work and we were able to hire the team that really that really turned us around um those early those early three three to five years were an amazing amount amazing class of person went through that kitchen okay Uh, we're going to take a little break here and when we come back we'll talk about the kitchen
first ranch grass-fed beef. Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. Welcome back. You're listening to Chef Story, and I'm Dorothy Can Hamilton. And today, my guest is Joaquin Baca from Brooklyn Star Restaurant, and we're following his journey. And uh, Joaquin was the chef and co-owner of Some Bar with David Chang, and we're talking about the early days at Mama Fuka Noodle Bar, or just Noodle Bar in those days. Mama Fuka Noodle Bar. Was Mama the, Fuka Noodle the Bar. The full working title. The full working title. What a mouthful of noodles. And and we're we're talking about it wasn't it wasn't a raging success out of the box and it was no. twenty five and under, which was uh, I guess in the New York Times if that's a perfect place for a small place. Oh, it's a great to place start, to start. To start because if you got a star or two stars, people's expectations would be there and it would be harder. We couldn't have been happier. That's I mean that's all that's all we wanted was was anybody to pat us on the back and say right. you're not terrible. Okay. So so then it starts rocking and starts then, rocking and, and then so how do you decide so you know let's, let's get behind the kitchen door. You're working for David. David's put up all the money. David's uh, it's David's show and now he wants to open a second. How does that conversation start with someone like you? It's pretty much a no-brainer. Somebody says you want to do another one and we were having so much fun. I mean, how could we not? So uh, had he had the place picked out, or did you two go walking around the neighborhood? There was this place that had been um, a empty Chinese restaurant. It was something lucky, family, superstar, garden. I can't remember what it was called. But um, it had been shut down for uh, some sort of lewd behavior uh, <laughs> for looked looked like near a decade. Um, and I guess he had been in negotiations for a little while before he before he, he brought it up. And at that time, we had hired Thick. We had um, this guy Kevin Pumulier that we had brought from Kraft. Uh, he now runs Thirty Acres in Jersey City. He's doing oh thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Timmy Maslow was one of our first uh, externs, and he uh, now has uh, striptease in Boston. And uh, we had this guy Scott that we had pulled also, who's now about to open his, his place. Uh, Scott Garfinkel is opening uh, Fern Shawarma in Manhattan. So everybody kind of. Now is is on there. We've got this great and bunch. you have Brooklyn Star. Right, we've got this great bunch and this great bunch of, of people that are that are uh, from all different backgrounds, and mm-hmm. we're basically just bursting at the seams. We have all these people in this little tiny twenty eight seat restaurant. So and they're all wildly <clears throat> talented. Were they all equally experienced, or did they come in and did you see no, no, a growth we, uh, arc there? We all learned together, um, which is which is uh, it was a great, beautiful, organic uh, explosion. What did you What did you learn? Uh, in that in that time in that kitchen, uh, I learned well everything about or not everything, but everything that I do know about running and operating a business in New York City, which is different from any other city, I'm sure. But it's, how it's, so? You, you can't make statements like that without. Well, I mean, they're all different. I mean, you could say that about about anywhere. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. But what 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 on the Lower East Side? What what sh- you know? It's it's tough. There are. Um, I mean, I don't want to get into it too much, but there are a lot of hoops that one has to jump through. They're just logistics, uh, right. just to operate in the city. And there's around every corner, there's a surprise of something that you didn't know you even had to fill out right. or a permit you didn't even know you had to have. Right. Uh, I so know, the bureaucracy. I know the ins and outs of some of the New York City bureaucracies that I wish I didn't even know. But right. 
right. it's valuable. Uh, so that, and uh, I think the most important thing that we all learned was was uh, what we could accomplish by by uh, casting aside the the standard hierarchy of one guy in charge and pyramid system. And we kind of went at it with this with this uh, group shotgun approach where we all just all menu development from the time of noodle bar to sambar was was uh, was written in these these roundtable emails. We we got everybody blackberries and we and we had everybody on these. Uh, these emails that would shoot out and it would be like somebody's in the you know eating kaiseki at the three in the morning and and they have something great and they're like oh i just had this and then they bounce it off and then somebody who's drunk and is just being silly like sends back some stuff and it anyways it would just kind of get the ball rolling and then the next few days things would kind of start to simmer and then dishes would pop up and it got uh, it's it's pretty much how we we kept it like really fresh and it kept it really fun and everybody got to be involved everyone from from you know i mean everybody was kind of were a lot of sous chefs Mm-hmm. Um, so that really empowers you, doesn't it? Really does, and mm-hmm. it really inspires you too. It's and and it's it's like competitive in the best kind of way because mm-hmm. it's not like somebody wants to be the last to the finish line. It's this uh, like a baton race or something, you know. Right, um, and and it really creates team. Is David a good team builder, or he must be because things are working out pretty good for everybody. Right. Um, Dave was real smart in hiring a great bunch, and. Um, and uh, in you know in organizing us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, so how is Sambar supposed to be different from Noodle Bar? So Sambar opens, and uh, Dave's got this idea about this. Uh, Sam is the Korean word for a, a wrap, and he has this this, uh, this idea for a Korean burrito, essentially, uh, which we you know we banged away at for a while. Um, and it didn't work out how we thought it was going to be. We, 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 we built this place, or Dave built this place, that looked far classier than what we were trying to put out of it. Um, and it only took us a couple of months. Like, again, this is the same, the same process. It, right. took, it took us a few months to realize that we were sort of barking up the wrong tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, again, we started bringing out more people. We brought on Tin Ho, uh, Johanna Ware, both who have their own place now. Johanna's got um, uh, her place in Portland, and, and uh, Tin Ho just opened uh, Montreche. And uh, so now, again, we've got like even more people packed in this thing. So, so it was just a uh, just a matter of letting the reins loose. And then once that happened, uh, uh, it just really, it, it just it exploded. So, so you've got all these uh, very talented cooks mm-hmm. in a small kitchen, right? Uh, really having a good time. Probably but, too much fun, right? And but now they've all spun off. So, what does it take to leave an environment like that and spin off? Um, I think everybody does it for different reasons. Um, I just, I, I mean, the machine outgrew me. It got big, bigger than, than what I had aspired to do. And, um, you know, Dave wanted to expand it more. And, uh, I think a lot of us were just kind of caught up in the, the mom and pop thing that we had and, and we're kind of scared about, you know, graduating middle school and moving on. Mm. Um, so for me, it was it was just it was sort of a, I mean I I love Dave we're we're pals we're we're good everything's great we both realized that you know I, I was I was holding him back um, I wanted to keep things you know I was yep. just keep things the way they were and yep. and Dave wanted to move along natural progression and then, how big is the empire now it's pretty huge. How many, a, do you have any idea how I, many? I don't. But I he's don't. in Toronto, Australia, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, taking on the world. Yeah, big spots. Big spots. Um, okay, so you leave. That had to be a little frightening. Where Terrifying. do you go? Where do you go? Um, well, I 
we started looking around. The neighborhood I'd been living in since I moved to New York was was, uh, was North Williamsburg, which was not the uh, uh, beautiful Brooklyn waterfront that it is now. It was uh, dingy. <laughs> so I lived in a dingy warehouse with a, a skateboard half pipe in the in the living room, um, and like there was no heat or air conditioning, but it was like three hundred bucks a month, so right. <laughs> that was okay. Um, and that's where I'd been living, and it was the neighborhood that I had grown to know. And so when it came time for me to start spending my own money and, and you know. So you knew leaving Dave that you wanted to spend your own money. I knew that I had to, yeah. Yeah, you wanted your own place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, because not every cook wants that, especially when you've watched the the perils. That's true. I think they we all say that we want it, um, and some of us really just want it more than others. And what percentage, when you have your own, is management slash business person versus uh, artistic, talented chef? Uh, well, I learned in the opening that I don't ever want to do anything by myself again. It's terrifying. Uh, so you were opening by yourself? I opened by myself. I opened uh, completely by, my, by myself. I hired a front-of-the-house guy, um, and he was running service, but and he was helping me like cover some of the business aspects of it. But, yeah, there's, you know, I, I basically uh, uh, built the place out myself because I, I used to build houses when I was in Texas, so I have, you know, pretty good you know, all-around general carpentry and, and GC skills. So built my own place, uh, ran through all that rigmarole of SLA and DOB and... Did you ECB. get loans from them? Uh, no, no, no. I uh, small biz- Oh, I thought you meant small business. N- no, the uh, the state liquor authority. Oh, li- yeah, the, yeah. Well, Department of Buildings. Yeah. Um, Department of Health. It goes on. It's a long list. It's, I know. Uh, okay. We have a restaurant at the school. Uh, I know. <laughs> so um, was running all that stuff, and um, and then then got to the, the kitchen part and running the kitchen, and uh, and it's it's you know it's just a lot to, for one person to carry. Uh, it is. How much fun was making the menu? Um, not as much fun as it should have been. Why? Just because uh, when you're trying to open a place like that, when you're trying to like open by yourself without any help, which is very stubborn, uh, you wind up having to spend a lot of time doing things that uh, are distracting from that aspect of it. Right. Uh, and you and you're looking at the price. Right. points right. and you get very tempered yes and, this is true okay so the name of your first restaurant was the brooklyn star oh the brooklyn star oh, okay okay so you d- did you go directly from some to no f- after some i uh consulted on a bar in the west village with okay. uh, ken friedman in that okay. group uh, okay. called the restaurant or, yeah so so you you had a few you 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 didn't jump right in. No no no. I kept myself busy for a while. Uh, my friends uh, also uh, own uh, Wilfie and Nell in the West Village, and uh-huh. I did a menu for them. And one of the brothers I wound up opening with uh, years later, Simon. He's my current partner at the Brooklyn Star. Oh, I see. Okay. So, so I did a little stuff to keep me busy. While yeah, I, you know, because while I, I fiddled. While you fiddled, yeah. And when did you leave uh, Sambor? Uh, let's see. I would have been in two thousand eight. 2008. So it's about six years. All right, so we're, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to really get into Brooklyn Star and what makes it a star.
Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Listening to Chef Story, and I want to thank Andrew White. I love his guitar playing from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Um, anyway, today I'm really uh, excited because we're talking to Joaquin Baca, um, who has is the chef owner of Brooklyn Star right here in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, we just heard his uh, fascinating and worldwide journey uh, to getting to be now. The responsible one at the restaurant Ooh. and the one that everybody, you've got all these people paying their rents and their mortgages based on you and your success of that restaurant. And in 2009, you opened in 2007? In 2009. Oh, at 2009. And you had a fire. Yeah, I was open for approximately nine, nine or ten months. Um, the original space was uh, about four or five blocks from where I am now. In this little uh, similar size to original little bar How space. How many seats? It's about twenty-eight to thirty seats. Okay, so it was like the original yeah. little bar. And that's I think that was not exactly not on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was definitely trying to get back to to that to that mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, the place had a hundred and something year old wood burning brick oven, which uh, yeah. So when you walk in, the, the, aside from every other mess that was in there, that's all I saw. Uh huh. Uh, and it's it's it's, uh, it's it's beautiful. It's an amazing thing to work with. It's it's the a very old Italian neighborhood. It was one of the one of the original uh, bakeries in the neighborhood. And uh, so it's how got a lot of history. Was, how big was the oven? It is well. They basically took what was a garage size, like a one car garage size bread oven, and and domed it in. So it's a, a pizza sh- uh, size, you know, pizza shaped dome oven. It's uh, about nine foot in diameter, so wow. it's, a, it's a good. It's, it's a, a good size. Yeah. yeah. So that was what you fell in love with. That was a tremendous amount of fun to work with. And you were already writing the menu when you saw it. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is wood fired and tastes like smoke, and it's tremendous. And it's uh, you know these great long paddles moving meats in and out, and uh, oh. and uh, yeah, that's that's the first thing that starts to get. Okay, in. so at Salmon Noodle, where you spent most of your time, it was Asian inflection. What, what was going on in your mind for Brooklyn Star? Brooklyn Star uh, was, I guess, my chance to to do what was kind of near and dear to me in a less filtered fashion, mm-hmm. which was, I mean, when we were at Momofuku was was everybody's kind of uh, love of what they what they knew um, filtered through a, 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 a sort of a, an Asian uh, ingredient mm-hmm. more than than, uh, than palate, but. Um, so there were already southern influences and Italian influences in the menu. Uh, we just put Asian ingredients to cover right. that up. Uh, but Brooklyn Star was more of a chance to kind of get back to what um, what is near and dear to me, which is um, pretty much like very old, old American, not new American, old classic American stuff. Um, Define that for me, because you're from the Southwest, right? I'm from the Southwest. So, so what is old American? 
old American. Uh, I mean, this country is is rife with with a history of of, it, of its own, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the New World was the the, the bounty. It's the, the everything amazing about about a produce and fish and fowl, um, and there there is a lot of. I think it's more considered family style, and it's considered uh, low class uh, cuisine that is. Uh, largely, not not by everyone, um, and uh, it's um, it's not as pretty. So is it is it rice? Is it lobster? It, it's is rice it? and grains and lobster. Uh, honestly, it's very difficult for anyone to narrow down. Uh, for I think probably for most people to narrow down what exactly their cuisine is that they serve. The only thing I could tell you is that it is um, old classic. Classic American cuisine, okay, family give me, style. Give me filter. some of the dishes that were on your menu. Well, uh, we kind of went with a, a, a solid base of, of the things that people expect. Braised collard greens, a lot of ham hocks, a lot of pig product, um, mac and cheese and stuff like that. And squash oh. casseroles and, and um, you know, uh, okay. tomato salad, stuff Down like that. Down home cooking. Down home cooking. Maybe that's a good definition. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe yeah. that's it. So... Uh, so tell me about the fire, and tell me how does that devastate you? Um, the fire was on a Thursday night at about nine o'clock during a dinner service. During dinner. Yeah, my mom and wife were oh. in for dinner. They were just sitting near the door, which was good. <sighs> um, and uh, smoke started to billow out of the walls. There was a there was just a some you know a faulty old uh, flue that ran between oh. the the oven and and the uh, the old brick chimney that I guess had just been simmering for a while and it just hit its combustion point oh my god um we wound up with the upstairs apartment lady um well her apartment wound up in our kitchen <gasps> so oh yeah gosh. it was a it was a pretty it was a pretty good fire um everybody get out okay everybody got out fine nobody was hurt uh we we you know we that, that was that's the most important thing of course but so, th- so then what does that do to you as a business person and it makes you reevaluate reevaluate some things for sure mm-hmm. um but if uh, at that point you're one me so all in that there's not really an option that you can't you're not really thinking well, I'm gonna go into real estate. It's, I mean, there's not. I just, you know, this is this is what I do, and um, the only thing that you're thinking is okay. Like, how do we get past this? First of all, let's make sure everybody's taken care of. First thing we did the very next day, we we uh, got our checkbook out. and um, wrote every check to every purveyor that we owed anything to. Good for you. Um, down to the dime wound up with just a couple hundred bucks left in the bank account but oh that was gosh. fine we were felt happy uh, we you know um made peace with the landlord and uh we he and i started to go go forward on all of our insurance stuff um i'm not clever enough to try and to try and cheat the irs or or insurance so everything was very legit everything was on the books it was uh, very easy to deal with with that aspect of it good um, and there was sort of a, it's sort of a long process. And in the meantime, the only thought was, uh, you know, how soon can we get back open and how can we try and keep the people that are here? We how tried. long did it take you? It took a full, well, in the meantime, uh, I had started talking to my friend, Simon, who is, uh, I had told you before, one of the brothers that, that owns Wolfie and Nell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, runs a tremendous bar he's one of my favorite people on the planet and we decided that we were going to do something together mm-hmm. um one of the landlords from the neighborhood had approached me uh after the fire and said listen i got this place it's not doing very well these guys are i can feel like they're about to bolt uh, i want you to take a look at it i really like the way that you 
run your business and and uh and what i have in this place is this kind of janky uh, loud bar and it's not good for my neighborhood and i don't i don't you know i don't I don't want this this kind of this kind of thing going on in, in my in my neighborhood. Essentially, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I like you and I trust you, and I think that you should open in this place. Great. I mean, that's a it's a dream, right? You get right. The Lord comes to you. It's fantastic. So we go and we look at this place, and it's uh, five times the size of what we were operating in. Hundred seats. Hundred and eight. Uh, full bar, massive downstairs prep kitchen, um, and the first reaction was, no, no, I just want my little mom and pop spot, but it's kind of hard. Not to not to accept the, the, the those kind of big toys. So um, with the, uh, the the original place, uh, I partnered up with the Robertus guys and this kid Frankie Pinello, uh, who's from Bensonhurst. He's born to make pizzas, and we uh, we set him up and started running a, a pizza shop in there. It took us about I think uh, eight to ten months to get through all the insurance stuff and then to rebuild. Um, and pizza has a good margin, <laughs> right? Sure, it's got a great margin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that place was best suited for that to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying to fit a So what happened to the oven? Did you take it with nope, you? It's, it's, it's there. It, well, it's not, it's not the kind of mobile thing. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, and everything got, got uh, modernized to, to, to fit it back properly to the chimney. And it's, it's running like a champ. And uh, it's uh, best pizza in that shop. And I'm still well. a partner there with Frank. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great little business. It's a great little neighborhood spot. Well. And uh, we're pretty happy the way it's coming out. So tell me about Brooklyn Star today. Well, t- describe it for people. Make their mouth water. Okay, well, uh, we set it up in what is supposed to be a very family-style atmosphere. It's a, you know, kind of a big banquet hall sort of place. Um, me and my buddy Mike built all the tables out of these... Uh, these uh, bowling alley floors from Flushing, Flushing really? bowling lanes. Yeah, so it's, it's, you know, it's great big tables. It's very kind of loud and boisterous. I think. Uh, is, I, think I bet you could slide the condiments really easily on the table. Uh, yes, you actually can. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and what happened there was sort of uh, what happened when um, kind of when Noodle Bar took off. We were brought in like the the right group of people, and it started to grow into that thing where it wasn't just just me trying to trying to lead a couple of guys it became again like that that kind of like cohesive bunch and uh and that's i guess what i had originally been going for and 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 then now we're now we're kind of like hitting that stride so uh, my two sous chefs right now are one from uh one from north carolina and one from virginia so everything does wind up having a little bit of a southern flair to it but mm-hmm. um we are doing like a lot of big meats a lot of uh now, when you say big meats, it's big joints of meat uh, that you're cooking, like a uh, like you know forty ounce T-bones and, and whole braised oh. pork shanks, uh, wild boar ribs. Um, mm. How uh, do you cook them? We had this uh, really clever metal guy down the street build this smoker box that fits on top of our on top of our grill, so we're able to treat things in there for for a, a long amount of time during prep. Uh, and uh, our it's a, it's a big kitchen. We have a, a proper meat roast station, and it's how many people grill. now in your kitchen? Uh, we run on a busy night with six cooks, six line cooks. So, how do you manage them? Are you, is it back in the old David style? Is there no pyramid? Um, there is no pyramid. Uh, we we run it as a group, um, and obviously somebody has to be in charge, right. and I guess that has to be me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've been fortunate enough, and you know these things go through ebb and flow. Of course, uh, as you change staff, uh, the dynamic changes a lot. Mm-hmm. Our initial uh, opening staff at the at the new star was was uh, 
was sort of uh, how can I say this? It was a little scatterbrained. Uh, mm -hmm. We're a little bit more focused now. We we started out just like really excited and kind of, you know, just kind of throwing everything at the wall to see what stuck. And uh, it's and it you know got a little got a little uh, out of hand maybe. Mm -hmm. um, probably frustrating for some, but uh, now it's gotten to a point where we have a really good, really good basic staff, really good solid solid team, and uh, and menu development goes a lot more. If you if you could do it over again, what wouldn't you do? Life in general. I know. Let's Brooklyn see, like, Star. Yeah, Brooklyn Star. Hmm. Honestly, I can't really think of anything I wouldn't do. It's everything. Every mistake is something that you're not going to do again. And I, I feel like the more of them I get out of the way, uh, the, the less you have for the for that's the right. long stretch. It's called the school of hard knocks. Ah, right? that's what it is. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Well, that's a great way to look at it to learn yeah, from your mistakes. Staying in school for a while. Yeah, yeah I know. That's yeah. you don't want to stay there too long. Yeah. Um, dreams. What's next? Dreams. Uh, you know, there's actually a couple of things in the pipeline. Um, neither one of us I can be too specific about because they're not really set in stone. Ooh, but what, top secret. Yeah, well, I'm not like that. I just don't want to don't want to hex anything. Yeah. There's uh, one that's uh, in a different borough and one that's in a different country. I'll look at that far. Ooh. Um, which both are really could be could be really great. Um, that's so, great. Well, hey, well, what do you think of the Food Network and all of that? Do you think a chef has to go down? What do you have to do for publicity? How much do you have to get out there and pimp yourself, you know? I would like to do it as little as possible. Uh, I would rather spend my time in a kitchen than, um, than spend it wearing uh, makeup on a, on a, on a talk on, show. Yeah, on a talk show. Um, I think um, Food Network and, and, uh, and all that stuff, it's, it's, it's fun for people. But I think it gives people a little bit of a misconception about what what the real world is of, of working in a restaurant is. Uh, I think it like over glamorizes and stylizes it, where where uh, you get young young people and and career changers new into the field that are really taken by surprise. They come to expect uh, a, a more pristine and respectful and and. Uh, stylish environment than it really is and it's it's tough i mean it's a you know it's, it's very hard work let me, let me ask you about that because andre soltner who was the revered chef that had lutece that was sort of a temple of gastronomy when tony bourdain first came out with kitchen confidential they serialized it in the new yorker magazine and andre read it in the new yorker and um i told him he should read the book and he said i'm not reading that book I said, why? And he said, the way he writes about our profession is, uh, you know, is very disrespectful. And I said to him, you know, that's true, Andre, from your perspective, because of the way of the respect that you have and the discipline in your kitchen. I said, but in the places Tony's been... With respect to both, they're completely different they're places. Completely they're completely different. So there are some environments yes. that, that do have... Um, Really, uh, you know, if you walked into Jean Georges' kitchen or Danielle's kitchen, you're absolutely right. Right, it's a different environment. So, just not to put out there that all of the restaurants have this, you know. No, no, I'm not saying it's a pirate kitchen. I'm I'm just, yeah, oh, the pirates! <laughs> I like that. I never use them. Adjective. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the Joaquin Bacca. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that. Uh, I mean, every trail that comes through the kitchen, every extern, whatever, I tell them the same thing. I say. That's great. You like this? This is fun for you? Well, whatever you do, go and trail somewhere else. Go and trail everywhere that you can because New York is great for that. There right. is every type of kitchen that you might be interested in working in, right. and they are all so different, and you just kind of have to find out where you fit. 
That's right. It's very cultural. It's just like the food on the plate. You can have a roast chicken. Every you know, every restaurant has a roast chicken, but everyone is different. Right. You just have to find out what it is that you actually want to do, and and uh, and just find that place because they're. They're out there. No matter what kind of kook you are, there's there's a, a spot you'll fit in. So when you have your own restaurant, does it feel like your home? It is my home. It is your home. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, we've done it. I mean, the show is coming to a close. Oh. And I have, to, I have to say, it's really been a lot of fun talking to you. But you're going to get an award for best voice. Oh. You have the best radio voice of any of my guests. So, you know, I was thinking about I maybe just, starting a late night jazz. I was uh, going to say, you know, NPR you should talk to the like people that. here at Heritage Radio because, be you know, you got you got the voice, you got the story, and thanks so much for sharing with us. Thank you today. so much for having me. You're very welcome. And I I just want to have a shout out to my producer Jack Insley and Robin Cohen. Thank you so much for the help and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.